The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. If you're new to Parkwood or maybe you just never really noticed, one of the things that we are committed to as a church is training and developing the next generation of pastors and leaders within a local body of believers. So today it's my honor to introduce to you the newest member of that. This is Joseph Anderson. Uh, Joseph has joined us in the last few weeks as pastoral apprentice, where he is training and developing a what does it mean to preach? How do you develop sermons? How do you lead a local church. Uh, Joseph is married to Kaylin, and they just had a baby just a few days ago. His name is Joseph Jr. or Deuce, as they're going to refer to him. <laughs> so I encourage you to welcome Joseph to be a part. And today he takes up his learning experience by doing what Paul told Timothy to do. Give yourself to the public reading of scripture. So will you stand as Joseph reads? Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both in God to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being built together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, again, we find ourselves here, your children, your sons and daughters, who have gathered together to study your word and to express our hearts through song, all to worship you. So Lord, now we plead that you would take your word and apply it to our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would transform us, that you would change wrong thinking, that you would transform us into right living. Spirit of God, move, we pray now, in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we began by looking at Ephesians 1, verses 3, or 1 through 14, and the idea of union with Christ. And this was the, 
the main idea that we saw last week that all of the redeemed are in Christ, are in union with Christ, united together in him. So last week we were concerned with our relationship with God the Father in Christ the Son. And here's what we saw, that our relationship with God in Christ is not in isolation. That We have seen that how our relationship with God in Christ shapes our understanding of our relationship to one another. Let's just think about it this way. That through Christ and in Christ, we have right relationship with God, if we think horizontal. Here's what we understand, that because I am in Christ and I am in right relationship with God, here's what I comprehend. That you, my brother and sister, who are in right relationship with God in Christ, now share something together. So the vertical now results in the horizontal. That there is a profound relationship between us in Christ. So here's the main idea that we want to press in today from this text. That those who are in Christ are no longer divided. Instead, they are inseparably connected to one another now and forever. This text centers on the foundational identity of the church as the people of God who are united to one another because they are one in Christ. Communion, shared this last week, contains the word union. Uh, The communion of the saints, the community of the gospel, the church flows out of or from our union with Christ. Or to say it in the negative, there is no communion of the saints apart from union with Christ. Let me use our language. There is no church apart from union with Christ. Now the context of this passage, we got to understand the audience in which Paul is writing at Ephesus. When Paul would bring the gospel on his missionary journeys, this would be modern day Turkey, when he came to Ephesus, we know what his pattern was. He first would find the synagogue, the small band of dispersed Jews that would have find themselves in a city. And that's where he would begin by preaching the gospel, making the connection of God's covenant proclaimed to Israel. He would then expand to preaching to the Gentiles. Now, what, what you, you, you've got to understand is what's happening, and this is underlying this passage that the the relationship between Jews and Gentiles was one of a deep and complex hostile rivalry. They hated each other. Now this rivalry was the result of religion or the lack thereof. It was cultural, just how people approached living, how they ate meals, how, how how they gathered together. They had cultural separation. And don't miss this, it was deeply racial. The difference of ethnicity separated them. Now let me press into our context and ask the question, what separates us? What separates humanity in this part of the world? Religion? 
culture. Those of you who didn't grow up here have never heard this, have you? You ain't from around here, are you? Racial. And let me add, this has been a deep burden for me over the last year as it's crept into the church. The political divide. I will say this plainly and emphatically again. Politics will not separate this church. It cannot. Now I'm going to go deeper. Age. There, there, there's an arrogance of age going on in the Western culture. And it, it's in both directions. It's flowing older to younger and younger to older. Then there's a very distinct Southern culture division. Those who grew up in church and those who did not. So here's my question. How were these differences and divisions overcome? Paul answers it here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter two. First, in union with Christ, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now let me define we. We are those who are trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. So not everybody in this room at this moment or listening to me are trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. If you are not, my prayer for you today is that you repent of your sin and trust in Christ alone who can save you. For those who are trusting in him, here's what's true. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, here's the way Jewish people thought about everybody that wasn't a Jew. You were the trash heap of humanity. So Paul here, if you first read it, you can say, well, he's a Jewish man and he's talking down to the Gentiles. You're not reading close enough. He's speaking that the, the, the members of the church at Ephesus were primarily Gentile background people. But he's talking to both groups. He says, at one time, you Gentiles notice in the flesh, the quote, uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. You know what he's saying? Both of you are the result of flesh. One of you is not superior to the other. So quit thinking that you are, or quit thinking that you're less of somebody than the other. Remember, verse 12, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So prior to verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, prior to our union with Christ, to being united with Christ in salvation, we were separated from Christ. We were not a part of God's people. First Peter 2.9, we looked at it last week. We're now the people of God. Once we were not his people, we were strangers, aliens. That means we have no country. We have no belonging to anybody. And then he presses it deepest, having no hope and without God in the world. 
Yesterday, or Friday afternoon, I stood at the graveside of one of our dear sisters in Christ, Miss Pat Parker. And we took what she had sketched in the front page of her Bible as to how she would like to see her funeral. And let me just describe it to you. It was songs of hope and the message of the gospel. Later that day, I was interacting with a young man who not a part of the church and he was asking me how I as a pastor handled a funeral when I didn't know someone and here's what I said. I said, it's difficult. It's hard, but you can get to know. Everybody has a story. But I said, what's hardest is to do a funeral for people who don't know God. It is the most grievous place I stand as a pastor. Of people without hope and without God. Now, here's what I want you to see. Two weeks ago, I'm talking to a young woman in the community. and She says, church scares me. I said, why? She said, because of your rules. You see, here's what she's relegated religion down to. Do's and don'ts. Do you notice right here, Paul's not talking about rules at all. He's talking about the lack of relationship. You don't know God. You are separated from God. Now, what is it that has separated us? Look in chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and once you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom once we all once lived, and the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us. So everybody look up here. God moved first, not you. He, being rich in mercy because of the great love that he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Now here's how he picks this up in verse 13. Same language, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, far off does not mean that you were still within shouting distance. It means that you were separated from God with a fixed chasm that was only overcome by the sacrifice of Christ, by the blood of Christ, by what him giving his life on our behalf to set us free. Now, the question is, who is this for? Now, go, go with me to Acts chapter 2. Who is this hope given to? Acts chapter 2, verse 37, after the preaching of the very first sermon at Pentecost, the response of the crowd was this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then he says this great truth. For the promise is for you and for your children and 
for all who are far off. So it's not just for the Jew, it's for the Jew and Gentile, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, that means that through Christ, the alienation, the chasm that was fixed between you and God, between me and God, has been overcome by the blood of Christ and all who trust in what Christ has done on the cross and through the power of the resurrection, who trust in him, I've been brought into relationship with God. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul here has a double meaning, and I think we miss the double meaning. So in Christ, praise God, I've been made right with God. Now he's gonna take the second truth and work it out in the rest of the text. So here's what he's saying. Not only have I been brought near to God, I've been brought near to you. Something profound now has happened between us who are trusting in Christ. This is not normal. This is not human. This cannot be accomplished by the policies of man. This is only by the work of Christ through the spirit of God. That in union with Christ, we have been reconciled into one body through the cross. Why? For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It is through the cross that we are not only reconciled to God, we are reconciled to one another. Now the Jews needed to hear this as well as the Gentiles. Why? Remember those of you who grew up in church? I have a word for you. You ready? There are no privileged people in the kingdom of God. God was gracious to bless you to grow up in a home where the gospel was clear, but that doesn't make you privileged. That doesn't make you better than a 40-year-old man who lived an awful and sinful life, who repents of his sins and comes to Christ. We have all been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we don't look at him different than the person who has lived a very different life because Christ is our peace. Peace does not mean the absence of fighting or war. That's a ceasefire. Christ has not created a ceasefire between us. Peace is the embracing of one another in love. Christ is our peace. He has embraced us in love. He is the source of peace in our lives. We cannot know peace without Christ. He provides this peace that we might know peace between he and the Father and between one another. And he is the one who sustains this peace. Now here's what he's done. He has abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, verse 15, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. I don't know how much you know about the temple. So at the temple, there was a wall around it and everyone was welcomed into the first court. Does anybody know what it was called? The court of the the Gentiles. So everybody could come into the court of the Gentiles. When you got to the dividing wall, a literal wall, it said, if you're a Gentile and you go beyond this wall, you will die. 
now. That's ceremonial. It's, it's how the, the worship of the Jewish people played out. Here's, here's what it's saying. Christ has abolished that. He has broken down that wall. It's not that he has done away with the commandments of God. He has made them ineffective or powerless. Now, how did he do this? Jesus Christ satisfied the full demand of the law. In other words, he kept the law perfectly. Only he could do it. And because he kept the law perfectly, he was able to go to the cross and die in the place of those who could not keep it perfectly. He bore in himself the wrath of God because of our breaking of the commandments of God. And he has now rendered the law powerless to condemn us. Christ has satisfied the law of God and bore its curse. Now, as to the ceremonial law, this, this emphasis on the dividing between the Jews and the Gentiles, that is now over. The, the Jewish people can no longer have a sense of superiority. No one can have that sense. We, the wall is broken down. It has been destroyed so that Christ might create a new man. This is Kent Hughes. This is simple. <laughs> I love this. Jesus did not Christianize the Jews or Judaize the Gentiles. Jesus made something brand new. He made a new man. Christophson, one of the early preachers in the Christian church, said, it was as if he took silver and lead and melted them down and the outcome was gold. He's done something that ought not to be, but it is. And that is through the power of God, through the reconciling work of the cross, through Jesus Christ, bringing us in union with him into one body. As a result, any former hostility that we had between each other as human beings, that in Christ, those things have been put to death. We are now one body. He might reconcile us, verse 16, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So when we get together, we don't identify as Jew or Greek. We don't identify as slave or free. Could I say blue collar or white collar? Some of the most angry people I, I, I've come up with over the years are people whose social class divide in church. There's neither male nor female. Men are not superior to women in the church of God. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. And verse 18 says, through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That means, that means that wall that used to be there for the Gentile who couldn't keep going and the Jew could, that wall's gone. We all now, through Christ, come and worship the Lord. So let me tell you a story. Um, there used to be this little lady. She sat right over here, right where Mark Moore's at. Her name was Miss Helen. Anybody in here remember Miss Helen? There's a few. Well, you missed a treat. 
That was her chair, okay? She would run you out. You know how I know this? The very first Sunday we were here, Celeste sat there and she said, young lady, you've got to move. <laughs> we are like, welcome to Parkwood. <laughs> Helen was about that tall and she wore heels about that high until she died. Now, some of you are shaking your head. She did. Right after I became pastor, I was standing at the door and she came by and she got a hold of me by my tie. If she was here today and I wasn't wearing a tie, I would get an earful. And she pulled me down. And she said, young man, when you pray, we are praying. We are. Not you. We are. Young man, I trust, as I did, that you had your quiet time this morning and that you prayed to God as I did. But when we got together this morning, we gathered. So we are praying and would you mind quit saying I and say we? <laughs> Helen loves me, okay? But here's what she was teaching me. We come to worship God together. There's something profound happening when we get together. Turn to Romans 5. This, is, this text is used often as, as a part of presenting the gospel in evangelism. And we, we treat it very singular. And I just want you to notice before I read it, the pronoun here is plural. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We come together as the people of God to worship the God who has saved us. We have peace with God through Christ and we now can come into his very presence and worship him. And we do this together. So let, let me just share one of my great burdens as a pastor. This is my 20th year. Parkwood is a wonderful church and God has blessed her in so many different ways. And there's so much obedience to the word. And, and this is something that we continue to be working through and dealing with. But I just want to challenge you with it. And that is the burden over the divide over worship. We need to ask some deeper biblical and theological questions when it comes to how worship happens. Here's, here's some of my questions. Is division over style primarily a cultural issue or a biblical issue? Should style of worship divide the people of God in a local church? Should it? This is the deepest question for me. What does allowing our division over style communicate before the Lord God? Can I get to the real core of the issue? It's an older, younger issue. This group knows better than this group. 
just hold on. And this group knows better than this group. I was born in 1966. You know what they identify my generation as? Generation X. It's always been real affirming. We're generation nothing, but I don't say this whiny. As a pastor, I've sensed this. Boomers have defined us and millennials are trying to redefine us. And that tension is playing out in the local church in a powerful, powerful way. We are not millennials. We are not boomers. We are the people of God. And we desperately need each other. This new strategy to do away with age groups for growth groups is not just about how we reach our community. It is about being the body of Christ. And for us to see discipleship and worship happen the way Christ intended it, old and young must function together as the body of Christ. Now, what is this going to require? It requires this realization. The church does not primarily, and notice my language here, the church does not primarily exist to meet my needs. The church exists to reflect the glory of God. That's why she exists. So this last point has got to weigh in on our hearts. That in union with Christ, we are the dwelling place for God. So you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. There are three primary metaphors. Now there's multiple in here. First is that of family. We are his family. We're no longer strangers and aliens. We are, you are fellow citizens of the saints, members of the household of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. We are all a part of his family. He is our father through Christ the son. We are his body. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That means God's word, what God has given to the apostles and prophets that has been passed to us through the word of God, reveals to us that Christ is the cornerstone. It is all pointing to Christ. And it is in whom the whole structure, so a cornerstone is how a building is oriented around. That it is joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now you say, you said the metaphor here is a body. It sounds like a building to me. I have a question for you. How many buildings have you ever seen grow? It says this grows. He's going to come back to this in chapter 4 and look at it in a very emphatic way. Everybody hear me. The church is not a building that we go to and church is not an event that we attend. The church is the family of God living together on mission, seeing the church as a part of your Christian identity will cause you to begin to understand that we all have a role in God's household. Peter said it this way in chapter two, verse five. We are living stones. 
Then he concludes, verse 22, that we are his dwelling place. In him, you're being built together. So the reason this thing is growing, the body is growing, you're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And notice the Trinitarian nature of this text. It is for God the Father, in Christ the Son, by the work of the Holy Spirit. So we live the Christian life together as a multi-ethnic temple, centered in Christ, rooting in the teachings of Scripture, born along by the Spirit, all to the glory of God. Now I want you to turn over with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols, for we are the temple of the living God? Let me just pause right there. This text is usually used to explain to a believer to not marry an unbeliever. That's a fine application, but that is not the point of the text. In fact, it's a very good application, but it's not the point of the text. Here's the point of the text. The church is made up of those who are trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. We don't admit into the membership of the local church those who are still worshiping idols. Because when we admit into the church those who are not in Christ, we become Idol worshipers. Now, those of you who have said to me, this happens quite often. Boy, it's a long process to become a member of Parkwood. Yes, it is. Because we take very seriously, very seriously, that this church must be made up of people who are trusting in Christ alone. We're not flippant with membership for one moment. It's not about exclusivity. That's not what it's about. It's a gospel issue. Because God said this, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me says the Lord Almighty. Familiar with the old hymn that says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Remember that? Anybody resonate with that phrase? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. You know why I need you? You know why you need me? It's to say, Jeff, you're wondering. You're wondering. Look to Christ. That idol will not satisfy you. Remember who you are. This illustration is dangerous because it can be taken the wrong way. 
in an evangelical church like this one, to where we hold to the authority of Scripture and the inerrancy of the Word, it would be easy for us to fall into this mentality. Let's just have another Bible study. Let's have another Bible study. Let's have another Bible study. Let's have another Bible study. Here's God's design and desire that the Bible shape us. And the way the Bible shapes us is we one another. We are speaking into each other's life. It's not always passively sitting and listening to the Bible. There's a place for that. But that's not what we always do. We are speaking the truth in love. Now I'm getting into my application. So here's my so what. Do we realize that because of our union with Christ, we are inseparably connected to one another now, now, that, that, that shapes how we live now and forever for the glory of God. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, which we'll break down at length next week, rather, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is an instruction given to a local church at Ephesus, recorded in the Bible so that it would be applied to a local church in Gastonia, North Carolina on January the 20th, 2019. So let's, 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 let's apply this to our art. If, if you want to separate from the church, here's what you're saying. I want to be a stone, but I don't want to be a part of the building. You're saying, I want to be a son or a daughter, but I don't want to be a part of a family. I just want to live like a refugee. No country. No place to call home. God intends for his children to live out their faith in the community of the gospel that is the church, to love one another and speak the truth to one another until he comes. So we gather to worship. You didn't come to church, the church gathered here. And she gathered to worship through the preaching and receiving of the word and through song. They're both worship. Through the preaching and receiving of the word and through song. Second, we gather in what we call growth groups for this reason. To stir one another up. I'm captured by this. This is a whole other sermon is to do a, a study of one another in the New Testament. And here's what you're going to find when you study one another. It is related to how we as the church relate to each other. It's a necessary relationship for the body to grow. So, brothers and sisters, my prayer for you is that you will have a radical understanding of what the church is. 
because it's a radical thing. It's a work of God. And God has designed according to his word how is it, it is to function. Now, final illustration. I like to say my family puts the fun in dysfunctional. And could I just say, this is a fun family here at Parkwood. <laughs> Here's what some of you think. Church is the gathering of people who've got it all together. That's heaven. I'm being entirely serious here. That's heaven. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need each other. Every family's got a crazy uncle. And I'm him. I need you. You need me. Joel and Libby Ammons need you. You don't know their story. They need you. Joseph and Caleb and the new baby, they need you. My personal struggles with sin, I need you. You know what the greatest barrier at church is? Those of you who've got it all figured out. You're a barrier. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Don't think for a moment. Paul's not appealing into the Philippian congregation and saying, quit being high and mighty. The Christ who saved you humbled himself. Humble yourselves. The desires that we are like Christ. And we need each other to see that transpire. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, there's not a one of us that don't really want that. But then, God, I confess, I'm a barrier to it. We are barriers to it. So God, I pray that we in very real ways will see those barriers broken down through Christ. That those hostilities will be overcome. The prejudices will be overcome. The attitudes with one another would be overcome. And Lord, that we would see each other in Christ and that we would treat each other with love because peace has been made. And Father, I, I plead together with my brothers and sisters that those who are gathered here with us who, who are not yet a part of the family of God, may they realize today, may they hear in this message that the chasm, the separation has been overcome through Christ and may they repent of their sin and turn to Christ today and become a part of the family of God. Lord, the world has yet to see what it would look like if we truly embraced what it means to be the people of God, you told us what it would look like. The world would know we're yours. So would you do that among us? Would you do that kind of work among us that it would be evident that we're yours? We plead this in Jesus' name. 
Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.